Well, good morning, Emmanuel. Welcome. It's a it's a privilege to be here again. My name's John. In case you haven't, I'm John. I'm I'm just one of the students here helping in this service. And as a church, the past few weeks, we've been looking at a series called Deeper, taken from a verse in Isaiah 54, which says, drive your pegs deep, deeper into the things of God. And today I want to help us to, to lead us to have a deeper appreciation for the worthiness of Jesus that would engage our hearts and that would, would stir us to action because of his worthiness. And why? Why do I want to do this? Because a lot of a lot of resources and sermons that I've found just kind of assume that we all completely understand the worthiness of Jesus, that we all understand it completely and we take it on board and we live like it. And it left me feeling a bit depressed afterwards because in reality that isn't the case and we'll never be there fully, but today I want to help lead us in that direction to appreciate the worthiness of Jesus more. We'll be rooted in Isaiah chapter 53 today, so if you have a Bible, flick through to or type in Isaiah 53. should be around halfway in your Bibles. But first, some context, as context is key. Isaiah was a prophet of God um, who who lived in Jerusalem um, and ministered to the tribes of Israel, um, and they were facing the looming threat of the Assyrians invading from the north. Isaiah also prophesied a lot about the Messiah, Israel's coming saviour. And chapter 53 is one such chapter. It's talking about Jesus. I hope that's clear. It's talking about Jesus. <laughs> Isaiah wrote it around 700 years before Jesus was born. And as we, as we go through some of these verses, and if you dare to look beyond what we're going through, you'll see that it is full of references to Jesus. It's been called by a man named Roy Gingrich as the, the Mount Everest of New Testament, of not Old Testament prophecy. It's full of such richness, um, prophesying of the coming saviour who would suffer as our substitute. And to illustrate my point of where I'm trying to go with this, I must confess that in preparation for the sermon, there's been a bit of procrastination. <sighs> You'd never guess. I was I was trying to to have a nap one evening. I mean, praying one evening um, about, about about the worthiness of Jesus. And in my thoughts, I got into a rabbit hole. I just I suddenly thought, hmm, I don't know much about the labour process in pigs. I don't know. Um, and of course, that was enough for me to stop praying and and to research into the. Um, Piglet delivery. God, what was I doing? And to be clear, this isn't Amazon delivering piglets to your door like two days after you click buy online. This is sales delivering pigs. Um, and I learned a lot. I'd have wasted a lot of time. That the gestation period of pigs is three months, three weeks and three days. There must be something biblical about that, I think. Um, learn all about all about piglet delivery and the signs that a pig is imminently about to be born. It was procrastination at its finest. It was, um, and then having exhausted all websites about piglet delivery, I upgraded to humans and, and mothers and babies. And the more I researched, the the more I found out about the joy and the pain and the miracle of childbirth. And you'd be right in assuming that. I don't naturally know a ton about childbirth. Um, but as I researched, it, 
it, it just dawned on me that this is my mum who went through that for me. It was my mum who, who suffered and, and went through the joy, the pain and the miracle of childbirth to give me life. And today, likewise, we're going to be looking at Jesus and his, his sufferings and his pain leading up to the cross and on the cross that he went through for us to give us life. And it's my prayer and desire that we get a fresh perspective of the worthiness of Jesus and we esteem him highly. Does that make sense? Great. And so to structure this, we'll be looking at three points, then zooming out and getting a bigger perspective, a fuller picture, and what it means for us today. And it'll help us to see how glorious Jesus is. So let's read some Isaiah. Um, chapter 53, just verses 2 to 5. It should be on the, on the screen coming up as well. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should desire him, that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, please, please come and help us to reveal Jesus and his worthiness to us. Please engage our hearts. And please may my words honor you. Amen. So let's start at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. This is talking about the Savior growing up, maturing, um, and is making a reference to an earlier chapter in Isaiah, chapter 11, um, where the Messiah shall be like a new root coming from a stump. And Jesus did increase in wisdom and in stature as he grew up before God. And let's not skim over this, this immediately first, that Jesus, this God-man, was revealed like a vulnerable young plant. And it's springtime, or at least I thought it was before, before all the snow. Um, and young plants are emerging, and they're really beautiful. But that wasn't the case with this young plant in Isaiah 53. The opposite was true. It says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. And this proves to be true. The saviour was not what people wanted, a strong, charismatic leader that would be majestic, riding on a big white horse to free the Jews from Roman occupation. He wasn't majestic. He wasn't beautiful. As strange as that sounds, our Jesus wasn't physically beautiful. He isn't what the Israelites and us wanted. And so we rejected him. We took a look at him and we thought, oh no, I don't want you. I reject you and just swiped him away. As vain as that sounds, that's what sin is. And the wording used in, used in verse 3 at the start, he was despised and rejected by men. That indicates a, a, that people quickly dismissed Jesus. It was a quick dismissal. And when I hear those words, I, I think of a red card in football or in rugby. Um, I'm a football referee, one of the good ones, I promise. Um, and it would be as if I saw some kind of foul and I walked over, 
I walked up to it, didn't give it any thought at all. I, I saw one of the players, I asked for his name, and I showed, them a, I showed them the red card, effectively saying, off your shot, I'm not having you on my pitch anymore. Jesus was quickly dismissed by the religious leaders, the very people who he came down to save. And carrying on in verse 3, our first point today is that the Saviour is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in the, in the Hebrew, these words of sorrows and griefs are, are so physical. They mean pain and illness and suffering, agony and disease. The, the suffering servants described in this chapter endured pain so much that they defined him. He was a man of sorrows who knew grief very well. Imagine being defined by your pain like that. And anyone reading this or observing would feel naturally sorry for this character. But further still, people in, are in total shock and horror at him. It's, um, it's, and how he looks. It's described as if, um, as if you would look at him and you can't even make out features of a person. That you don't even know if he's a human being or not. People despise him and, and, and turn their faces away from him, not wanting to be associated with him at all. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yeah, it means that the Israelites didn't view highly of him. They didn't, the Israelites did not consider his worthiness. Instead, they hated him, disassociated themselves with him and rejected him entirely. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And that's our first point, which is true, but it doesn't show the full picture. But then... As we zoom out, we see why. We see why. In the next verse, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It was our griefs and our sorrows that Jesus carried. He wasn't just a suffering man, but he was our suffering saviour. Those pains were ours to bear. They were ours to carry. And the phrase in Hebrew literally means he lifted up our sickness where the Messiah took our pains upon himself. And this, this concept of, of taking our pains upon him is just reveals God's compassionate heart for us. God notices the pain initially. He is emotional and he doesn't turn a blind eye to sufferings. He recognizes our pain. And greater still, he has took our pain and the greatest pain we could ever have, our sin, he took it upon himself. Our pain off us and onto him. That's our pain off us and onto him. When you think of carrying sorrows, you may just you may think of Matthew 11, that, that there's the great invitation that Jesus says, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this is true, and it's been a source of comfort to me recently. But we could fall into a pit of just thinking that God is, a, is our friend, our mate with unlimited emotional capacity, which I'm glad that he is, that he has. But that that's what it means for him to carry our sorrows, that we just offload. And we do offload our, our burdens to Jesus. We could think that the gospel is, is just us and Jesus, um, two friendly oxen walking in a field, plowing along, breathing in the country air on this, on this nice field, walking side by side. And that is, that is true, but it's not the fuller picture. I want to say that there's something much more greater and glorious than that. 
Instead, we're not side by side with Jesus. It's Jesus on his own whilst we look on. It's Jesus getting whipped and beaten and humiliated whilst we look on. The the flogging by the Romans would have sunk bits of metal and bone into his back. It would have fractured his ribs. He would be experiencing seizures and tremors. And his flesh would be all mangled and ripped. And then most criminals didn't even survive the 40 lashes that the Romans gave him. But then after that, he carried on his back the cross up Golgotha Hill with a rough cross sinking into his, into the, into the marred flesh on his back whilst we look on. It isn't side by side, friends. Jesus does it. Knowing that those are my sufferings, those are my pains. He carried our sorrows. Prop time. This is a, a wooden, a wooden cross lamp that I was given, um, that I was kindly given just before I came to Durham. And I try and turn it on every Sunday, but less recently due to rising energy costs and the like. Um, and, um, and it's great. It reminds me of Jesus. Um, but I'm also so conscious of just how perfect it is, how nice and symmetrical the design, how smooth and curved the edges, how pure and unknotted the wood. It, it sanitizes the cross, I think. And yes, the, the cross was perfect in its power to save us, but it was a bloody and a painful mess as well. Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows even to the point of death. Those were ours. He isn't just a man of sorrows, but as we zoom out, he is our saviour of sorrows as well. We see that Jesus is worthy of glory. Moving on, verse 4 says, Okay, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There's that word again, esteemed. Did they value him highly? They didn't. Actually, they said that he was worthy of being stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was worthy of that. And those words mean that he was being struck down. He was struck down by God as, as like a, as from a, a weapon in battle. That he was being punished and he was suffering. From their perspective, they just thought that he was one of the many criminals being crucified in that time by the Romans. And it wasn't a dignified death, a home in private surrounded by loved ones. But it was made to be the most brutal and painful and shameful form of death whilst the whole world watched. Deuteronomy states that anyone who is hung on a pole, or in this case, hung on a cross like Jesus is, is cursed by God. All the more reason for the Jews, I think, to disassociate themselves with him. He was being punished as a criminal by the Romans. He was being cursed by God. And he was esteemed as being punished and struck down by God. And that's our second point, that he was being punished. And which is true, he was being punished. But as we zoom out, we get a fuller perspective perspective and we find out why but he was pierced for our transgressions but he was crushed for our iniquities Jesus was certainly being punished but he was not worthy of punishments and once again it's for us it can only be explained if Jesus was our substitute and bore our punishment it's worth explaining what those words mean, um, transgressions and iniquities. 
um, as they can seem foreign. Um, transgressions mean, um, mean an act that encroaches upon God's law. And iniquities means a natural state of character um, that, that is rebellious towards God. It's more, it's more inward that. And both are sins, and God says that both deserve the punishment of death. They're both worthy of death. But Jesus took that punishment, our punishment of death, that we should receive upon himself. The word pierced, as you can imagine, is to be pierced through, which we see in his forehead, on his brow, when the, when the, um, when the thorns pierced through his forehead. And when they pierced his hands with the nails to the cross. And when the spear pierced his side after he died. And that word crushed is so strong as well. It means to be pounded under immense weight. And this weight was the immense weight of our sins that he took upon himself. He was pierced and crushed by God. Taking the punishment that we deserve off us and onto him. Our punishment off us and onto him. There's a story in all four Gospels, just before the crucifixion, when Jesus was, was being trialed in a Roman court um, by Pontius Pilate, and outside the chief, priests, the chief priests are getting all the Jews, all the Jews riled up and hating, it, and, and hating Jesus, almost starting a riot. And Jesus was questioned, but Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. And it was the Jewish feast of Passover as well. And we're told that apparently it was usual for a prisoner to be released at that time. And so Pilate gave the Jews a 50-50, a choice. One man calls Jesus Barabbas, a notorious prisoner, a murderer and a rioter. Or Jesus who was called the Christ. And Pilate was confused. The Jews were, were shouting for, for Barabbas to be set free, for him to be released, the criminal but as for Jesus, Pilate was shouting, I can find no fault in this man. Yet the Jews were still demanding his death. And so, and so to avoid a riot, the Pilate released Barabbas and sent Jesus away for lashing and crucifixion. And now let, let's press pause and put ourselves in the story here. Imagine you're the chief priests and the Jews and, and we're there hailing against Jesus, saying, crucify, crucify him. We're the very people that Jesus came down to save, but we've despised and we've rejected him, choosing the criminal over Jesus. And friends, it's the Garden of Eden all over again, are you seeing this, where, where we're, we're rejecting God and we're choosing death over life. And um, every year, the, the Jewish high priests would have to, to sacrifice an animal, normally a bull or a goat, to atone for the, for the sins of the Israelites every year. But little did they know that when they were shouting, crucify him, they were actually sending the, the ultimate lamb of God, the ultimate sin offering, a way, to be, a way to be killed to atone for all of our sins. God works that through gloriously. Or imagine that you're Barabbas himself. You're in prison, rightfully, and then suddenly someone comes and, and picks you out and then, and then puts, stands you in front of a crowd, which are kind of hectic already at this point, and they're actually demanding your release. They're asking you to, you to be set free. You think it's your lucky day here. Um, but then you turn to your side and you see this bruised man who's silent, and you think, who is this man? The crowds are demanding him to... Him to um, demanding his death, him to be crucified. 
And as you walk free, as you walk free, you, you can't help but think that this man was your substitute. This man was killed in your place. The man that they couldn't find any fault in is now being whipped. There's so much apparent injustice here, but it rests on God's grace. And God's grace gives us what we do not deserve. And so we're zooming out to the, bigger, to the bigger picture here. We see more of the worthiness of Jesus and how he was punished for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And I feel that today God wants to remind us of the sufficiency of the cross. That he has taken up our pains and our punishments upon him and paid for our sins. We don't need to add anything. There's freedom to be found in in knowing and and knowing in our hearts and living that Jesus took our punishment, that he is our substitute. Let's honour his sacrifice and honour him. And we esteem him highly. We view him as being so worthy of glory. Finally, we read in, in verse 5, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The word chastisement means a kind of discipline or a punishment from a parent to a child. And this has brought us peace. And his wounds, or stripes, that it's often referred to, is, as, has brought us healing. And those, that's our third point, that we now have peace, we now have healing. And the ultimate kind of peace that we can get is peace with God. Knowing that we were once enemies with him, we once were, were rebellious, but now we have peace with God. It isn't just a truce or a ceasefire, but now the, the total absence of conflict between us and God. And as glorious as that is, God also wants peace with us far more than we want peace with him. Shown by the lengths that, that Jesus went through to make a way for us to be saved. We've looked at the shame Jesus endured. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despising the shame. The peace and healing available to us drove Jesus to be our substitute. And God celebrates it when we accept peace with him. Are you familiar with how on, on a Christmas day in World War I, um, there was a truce, a ceasefire, and people played football. And as great as that was... It was temporary. People knew that the war's heavy toll would come against tomorrow morning. As opposed to the v- as opposed to VE Day at the end of World War II, where people celebrated the peace in Europe and the Allies' victory. That there were celebrations up and down the country. Um, it is it is fitting to celebrate and to be glad here, to rejoice in our salvation, to rejoice in our Saviour Jesus. For he has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Healing was such a big part of of Jesus' ministry. And it's encompassed both spiritual and physical healing. If you have a look at at, at the the healings that he did. As as the Hebrews drew no sharp distinction between between illnesses of of the soul and the spirit and of the flesh as well. And we are promised this perfect healing. And perfect peace. And we do pray boldly for it now. Knowing that God is a generous father. But we also wait eagerly for for it to come in its fullness. In the new kingdom. When it comes perfectly. 
And these reasons of peace and healing drove Jesus to the cross to be our substitutes. And it's called Good Friday for that reason. God's big plan of redemption for the world and humankind centers on these events. The sacrifice of Jesus. Our verse for this series, which is normally up on the board, um, is in Isaiah 54, the next chapter. And it says, and it's verse 2, which says, drive your pegs deep. This chapter 54 is describing life in the new covenant, which my Bible calls the eternal covenant of peace. In Isaiah 54, we drive our pegs deep in this new relationship of peace that we have with God, only made possible through the peace that we're given in Jesus. That we, we drive our pegs deep and we go in deeper into the things of God in Isaiah 54 from the redemption that we have in Isaiah 53 where Jesus was our substitute. Agreed? Yes. Let's zoom out now. We have the, we have peace and healing that we've been given and we look to Jesus again. In verse 7, he is called a lamb that is led to the slaughter that's going to die. And we see that theme in the end of the Bible now, in Revelation 5, where John describes how a scroll containing all of history needs to be opened. And as I read some verses, I hope you can imagine this with me. We're lifting our focus off us and onto Jesus. Our focus off us and back on to him. And between the throne... And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What's he worthy of? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So to sum up, we've considered how Jesus takes our pains off us and onto him and the pain that he endured on the cross. How Jesus takes our, our, our punishment off us and onto him, how he was our substitute and, and how he took our punishment so we could be forgiven. And thirdly, that we're given peace and healing. We zoom out our perspective and we lift our focus off us and onto him and we appreciate his worthiness more. We conclude, who else is worthy of worship? Who else is worthy of glory? So how can we have a deeper appreciation for the worthiness of Jesus? We dwell on his cross and his sufferings for us. We receive it with thanks and and we receive it into our hearts. 
and we follow the, the examples of the angels and the elders, and we pour out our hearts in worship to him. Yeah. Could the band come back up now, please? And, and to draw this to an end, friends, Jesus' invitation to us is one of freedom. It's one of freedom, this invitation, where our pains are taken off us and onto him, where this punishment that we had is taken off us and onto him. And as we lift our focus off us and onto him, onto Jesus, we see him for who he truly is, this God-man, the Son of God, worthy of all glory, worthy of all our worship. Let's pray. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We join with all of heaven with that cry, Jesus. Please forgive us when we don't esteem you. Please touch our hearts with your story, with your beauty, with your sacrifice. And please touch our hearts especially with your worthiness that we might live changed lives. We love you, we honour you, and we worship you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen.